0: Is this thing working out? Now it is. Wake up. Okay. Um, uh, it's, it's an honor to be here uh, um, and to be able to speak at Jason's ordination. I think that um, it's customary in these situations for uh, whoever's speaking to say something of their relationship with the, the ordinand, which is like a $2 word for Jason today, it's... The person who is being ordained, and I should say that uh, I think that's probably appropriate. And I have to begin with a confession. Uh, I first encountered Jason here at this church in about what, 2001. He was a freshman at at uh, Montana State University, studying like probably 75% of the students up there, engineering, and um, he came here to church, and I didn't know him, and. To tell you the truth, I was not particularly impressed. Uh, Shannon, maybe you put up the first slide and and show maybe why. Um, It was, I don't know if it was the shirt or the hair, I can't decide, but uh, he he was a freshman, you know, sewing his whatever you sew when you're a freshman. And uh, and, he, and Lynn Dooley was a huge champion for, for Jason. Uh, she had known him. Chris was a friend of his, and he told me the other day that he spent almost every weekend at their house while he was a freshman, which didn't bode well for his studies, as I understand it. And then uh, she would have him come up and, and play guitar, and we were in this transition phase. We were trying to learn all these new worship songs, and they weren't very singable, and to be frankly, Jason wasn't that good of a guitar player. And uh, and so I didn't really get to know him, and that tells you a lot more about me than it does about Jason, but at the same time, then he just disappeared. And I heard rumors that he'd gone off to uh, Sioux Falls, University of Sioux Falls, to study for the ministry, but I also heard there was a co-ed involved in that decision, and, uh, and, and I think both of them were true. So... uh, Fast forward seven years or so. It's 2008. I am senior high camp director at Templed Hills, and I am desperate for a camp speaker. Um, It's running late. I don't know what's going on. Chris Dooley said, well, why don't you call Jason? He's like going to seminary now. And I went, (laughs) right. But like I said, I was desperate. And so... So I called, and, uh, and uh, I hadn't seen him in seven years. And then he shows up at camp with the co-ed, right? And so, Shannon, next slide. And this is Jason at camp, which is, you would think in seven years that maybe, maybe. But no, show the next, next one there, Shannon. Yeah. Jason and Mandy at camp. Um Actually, the real picture is the next one, Shannon, you can move to that one. This was the crew that summer in 2008. Um, um, Five five of these people were from the University of Sioux Falls and there was Chris and me. And they were all in their 20s and they had their own language and everything. And you know, at the time in 2008, I was in my 30s and uh, (laughs) just really felt completely left out by these young people. But um, I'll tell you what happened, uh, it, it, it worked out well. I called him back to come do camp the next uh, summer in 2009 and Mandy and Jason came back. He was a little better guitar player and Mandy was of course, Mandy, as you can, and um, so Jason was getting better. He turned out to be an okay speaker in the second year he was even a better speaker. And then uh, in 2012, I needed help at The Rock. Chris had left, and Emily had left, and uh, I figured that by this time, Jason surely was through with seminary, and uh, I had looked all over for people, and, and uh, one I don't, I don't know how this really happened. I, I just walked in my office one day and went, I'm going to call Jason and see what would happen. I got him on the phone, and he goes, yeah, you know, we're probably not very interested, but I said, well, would you just at least talk to me about it? He said, yeah, so we scheduled another time to talk. And the next day, we talked, and I told him about the position, what was going on, and then the next, and we hung up. And then the next day, we talked again. He he called, or I can't remember how this happened, but he said, I want the job, definitely want the job. So we came back, and I had no idea what all this was gonna lead to, but it's led to today. And I want to say that my confidence and my uh, affection for Jason has continued to grow. And I'm proud and honored to be here to do this. History. That's how we started. I've also learned that uh, it's customary to do some different things in, in uh, ordination sermons. Usually a list of characteristics of a pastor and that kind of stuff. But I, as I've listened and attended to what God would say to Jason and to us this morning, I've been drawn to the gospel stories in particular, to John's gospel and to the passage that Patty read for us this morning. Um, what are we to make of this do you love me, feed my sheep story that's in this gospel? I think probably, and what does, it, what does that have to do with ordination? So I think probably we need to back up just a little bit and get a running start at it. As most of you who have been in Bible studies with me know, backing up means we'll probably be here a while. But... Uh, I'm not going to back up that far. I'm going to just go to the first of the chapter. So even after having witnessed the resurrected Jesus, some of the disciples have uh, returned in this, in this story. I'm going to paraphrase it. I'm not going to read it for you. I'm just going to paraphrase it. They've returned to the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee. And apparently, they've returned to their old way of life. They've reverted to their old way of life. Simon Peter is sort of the de facto leader of the group, of the gang. He says... He just says, I'm going fishing, and the whole gang jumps up and says, we'll go with you. And he leads, and they follow. Um, But also notice this. In this story, story, it's night when they're fishing. And in John's gospel, that always means that, that whoever's there are in the dark, which really means that they are without Jesus. They fish all night, and they catch nothing, nothing, not a thing. Then, in sort of a Hollywood moment, just as day breaks, Jesus appears standing on the, on the shore, on the beach, and they don't even recognize him. They don't know who it is. The light has returned. They don't even know him. He calls to them, Children, have you any fish? They reply, No. He says, Cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. They obey, and they find fish. 153 large fish, to be precise which is a good detail. I'm not sure what it means, but it's a detail. Then then they recognize Jesus. Obedience into his command yields recognition. Not only fish, but recognition. Obeying Jesus, they know Jesus. This story illustrates for us, it seems to me, and for you, Jason, as you're being ordained, what Jesus told the disciples in chapter 15 of John's gospel when he said, "'I am the vine, you are the branches.'" He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is simply the truth. If you don't stay connected to Jesus by loving as he loved, you can do nothing. You can't catch fish, any fish, let alone 153 large ones. You can't do anything. So Jason, no matter how hard you work, no matter how frenetically busy you seem to be, no matter how many leadership or church growth books you read, no matter how creative you are, no matter how many ingenious programs you initiate, no matter how conservative or liberal you are, no matter how many, how many of us follow you lead, your lead, apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. You and we, unless we all abide in Jesus, unless we keep his commandment to love one another, we'll just be fishing in the dark and catch nothing. In this story, the the sine qua non, the one absolutely necessary thing for pastoral ministry is this. You must abide in Jesus. For apart from him, you and we as a congregation can do nothing. And abiding in Jesus means to hear and obey his commandments to love one another and sometimes a command like cast your net on the right side of the boat. Start fishing somewhere else. I don't know why this nose always runs. In my opinion. Then after breakfast Jesus sort of switches the metaphor on us. I'm not sure why but it, it flows in the story. And now we're no longer fishing but we're tending sheep. We're no longer catching fish. We're tending sheep. In this part of the story Jesus gives Peter the four commands. The four commands that were in the passage that Patty read. Before each of the first three, he asked Peter, do you love me? And I believe, Jason, that everything, everything in pastoral ministry turns on this question. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And the fourth command is, follow me. Three times, do you love me? It's not a once-for-all question. You don't get to answer it one time. It is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment question. Do you love me? Loving Jesus is forever bound to the daily, moment-by-moment, loving care and feeding of his lambs and sheep. If you love Jesus every day, you'll be caring and feeding lambs and sheep. You cannot do one without the other. In 1962, uh, the Swiss theologian Karl Barth made his only trip to the United States. He came here to deliver a series of lectures at Princeton Seminary. And before the lectures began, he held a question and answer session. And one brave young theological pastoral student asked him the question. If, he said, um, um, what did he ask him? He asked him if he had any advice for young pastors. And Barth listened and said, you know, that's really the whole question of theology, isn't it? All the advice for one young pastors. But then he said after, he, he told them that he hoped their studies, through their studies, they had learned not only to know about Jesus, but to love Jesus. And then he went on to say, are you now willing to, lead, to deal? He had, he had kind of a high voice with a German accent. It's kind of interesting. Are you now willing to deal with humanity as it is in the 20th century with all its passions, people, all their passions and sufferings and errors, Do you like them? Do you like these people? Not just the good Christians only, but do you like people as they are? People in their weakness and wickedness. Do you like them? Do you love them? And are you willing to tell them the message that God is not against them, but for them? In other words, Bart was asking these young pastors in training, are you willing to demonstrate your love for Jesus by loving Jesus' sheep just as they are, just as Jesus loves them? Not abstractly as, I love all people, but very concretely as in, I love this lamb and that sheep, that one. Sheep which need tending and feeding in very particular and personal ways, as wicked, weak, and willful as we are. So here's the thing, Jason, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This is straight truth. If you love Jesus, loving us sheep is not optional. It's required. I'll give you a moment to think about that. That's enough. He stayed with us. That's good. (laughs) The only question then becomes, how do you love Jesus' sheep? How do you love these sheep here at First Baptist Church? How will you tend and feed these lambs and sheep? To help answer that question, I brought with me uh, some, a few gifts for you today that I hope will serve both as object lessons and as um, reminders of this day and the meaning of your ordination. The first gift is a Bible. I put these on the altar. I should have held, I don't, there wasn't room up here to stack all these things. Yay, the first gift is a Bible, which seems like, duh at an ordination, you're going to give a Bible, right? But what, why? Why would you do that? One of the prerequisites for feeding and tending Jesus' sheep is that we, the sheep, must hear the good shepherd's voice. If they don't come, you can't hear. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought them out all his own, when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. I had the opportunity at one point, have you, any of you called sheep? Do you, have you witnessed the calling of sheep? I had the opportunity to do this one time. I, was at, I went to One of my favorite writers in the world is Wendell Berry. And I had the opportunity about 18 years ago, to be precise, <laughs> uh, to go to uh, Wendell's house and sit with him on his porch on Sunday afternoon and converse with him. And as the afternoon drew on, Wendell keeps sheep. And uh, he said, i got to go feed the sheep. You want to go? And we said, yeah, sure. Of course, Wendell Berry asks you to go feed sheep. You're going, right? So we went down in his old truck, and we got to the the sheep barn. He lives on a a hill above the river. And this old barn was there, structured, and, and it was this large barn with two open doors at either end. It was long this way. And, uh, down, and and the doors were not closed. They couldn't be closed. I don't, I'm not sure. But down the middle of it was a trough. And Wendell went down there and poured a bunch of feed in the trough. And then he went out to the back door. And he, and he said, but before he went to the back door, he said, you guys got to stay out of sight. And I, we said, well, why? He said, well, if the sheep see you, they won't come in. They're afraid of strangers. They won't come in. So we, we kind of stood on either side of the doors. And we peeked through the slats, I guess, or the, or the, the, uh, the barn boards that had cracks and we were peeking through them a window went out the back and stood up 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 above the sheep because they were down in the bottom and he goes whoop sheep here sheep come sheep and they start coming up you know from down below uh kind of run you know maresy doats and dozy doats and little lambsy diving <laughs> coming along like this and and uh just like you'd expect sheep and lambs to do and then they got to the door and they just went and, you know, we were almost hidden, I guess, but they could see, it. they sensed something was wrong. So the point being, Wendell had to then coax them in, you know, with his voice, the, 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 the shepherd's voice, and he coaxed them in and they went to eat. Once they got into the food, they were a little less wary, but, uh, but they, they got in the food. So, so we're giving you this Bible, Jason, to remind you that if you listen to the word, if you trust the word and discern the word, if you live the word and if you preach the word, and no other word we will hear the good shepherd's voice in your voice and when we hear that good shepherd's voice in your voice like sheep we will follow you as you follow Jesus and we will respond to your voice and come into the barn to be fed and cared for this seems as good a place as any to pause and ask for affirmation from the lambs and sheep of this congregation I'll I'll address you now, lambs and sheep. You have witnessed and... and, uh, Have you witnessed? Have you witnessed? And will you affirm that Jason speaks and lives the words of Jesus with grace, truth, and love, that he tends and feeds Jesus' sheep in a manner that confirms in your hearts and minds that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him, and he has indeed been called by God to be an ordained minister, an ordained pastor, charged with caring for Jesus' precious sheep. If you have witnessed and can affirm those, please say, Amen. Amen. Will you now covenant to pray for him, to encourage him, and to support him as a fellow worker, with him for the sake of the gospel? If so, please say, amen. Amen. I expected nothing less, but you never know, right? The second gift, Pat, is the towel. Towel. It's on that end, yeah. It's used. I didn't buy a new one. It's got a couple of stains on it. No, no, no. I did shower, however, this morning, so. But the, <laughs> the final command that Jesus gives Peter at the end of the scripture passage today is simply follow me. And what does following Jesus look like? Always a good question. Jesus, however, has provided us an example for us. In the 13th chapter of John, so I'm going to read two passages, or a couple passages there. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper when the devil had already put into the heart of of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. When he had washed their feet and taken his garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, Truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. That's why an ordained minister needs a towel. It's a reminder of what following Jesus' example looks like and requires. And never forget, Jason, Jesus washed Judas' feet too. I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. The third gift is a cross. I want to read this section. I've got to flip back here. 10, 18, 11 through. I'm going to start prior to what I thought originally. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life abundantly, have life and have it abundantly. I read that because, I added that in because that's one of Jason's favorite passages. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hireling and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will heed my voice, so there shall be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This charge I have received from my Father." Again, the command is, follow me. Feeding and tending Jesus' sheep will be dangerous and costly, just as it was dangerous and costly for the good shepherd himself. You must be willing to take up your cross and follow Jesus, and you must call us to do the same. You must always remember and always remind us that the way of Christ is the way of the cross, the way of the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. It is the way of salvation, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in The Cost of Discipleship, when Christ calls you, he bids you come and die. The fourth gift is actually two pieces. It's a plate and a cup. Twice in our story, Jesus commands Peter to feed his sheep. And what strikes me about all these symbols and all the commands is that Jesus never, ever, never asks of us what he's not already done himself. He never asked more of us than what was asked of Him. Everything He asked of us, He has modeled for us. Surely, it is significant that one of the final acts of Jesus in John's gospel is to feed disciples breakfast on the shore of the lake. And how many stories in the gospels began with while they were eating or in the middle of the feast or, as our story today, when they had finished breakfast. All meals in Scripture and in life are types of communion, but there is one meal and one cup, that is Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist. And it is your privilege, Jason, as pastor, shepherd, to demonstrate your love and obedience by feeding the communion meal to Jesus' lambs and sheep as often as we do it, and to remind us each time of the grace and beauty of Jesus' sacrifice of his body and blood for us. Jason, I'm going to ask you now to meet me at the table. And then I'm going to give you a charge as an ordinate. Do you want that we should probably change? Let's do this and then I'll give this to you. Remember that without Jesus, you can do nothing. And then I'm going to be Jesus and I'm going to ask you a question. And I want you to answer. Jason, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Jason, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Jason, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, Jason.